Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the 2019 Le Mans 24 Hours and explain how the wrong Toyota won. The 2019 Le Mans 24 hours seem to be running exactly to form, with a number 7 Toyota of Mike Conway, Kemui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez in control for the vast majority of the race. But as is so often the case, Le Mans had a sting in the tail, and with just over an hour to go, a puncture forced two pit stops and handed the lead and victory to the sister number 8 Toyota, as Sebastian Buemi, Fernando Alonso and Kazuki Nakajima, who incidentally also clinched the World Endurance Championship title. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and I'll be speaking to some of Autosport's team on the ground in France so we can really get into the details of the of the 2019 race. Well, joining me first is Gary Watkins. Apparently, this is his 29th Le Mans 24 hours, so he's closing on Henri Pescarello's record. But, but Gary, throughout Le Mans, throughout qualifying as well, the number seven Toyota of Conway Lopez and Kobayashi always seem to have the pace advantage. And for the best part of 23 hours of the race, it looked like they were going to win with relative comfort over the sister car. So what what was it about that car that made it so much, so much stronger? Because it just had a clear pace advantage. Yeah, well, they had a setup that they liked. It was a different setup. 
to the car to the to the setup on number eight, uh, and it was also a different setup to the one they ran in uh, practice and qualifying. They actually changed it for the warm up on race day morning because they weren't happy with what they had. They were looking at how they could tweak it, and uh, they they actually settled on going back to what they ran last year, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Interesting, A, because obviously tire, the tyres are different uh, this year. You know, there's been an evolution of the Michelins. But also because the setup they ran last year was more or less the setup from the number eight car. They again were unhappy with their setup during qualifying last year and more or less went to the same setup as the eight car. So, so that's, there's a slight irony to that, but it gave them the pace. Anyway, it was all. You know, it was blatantly obvious at the start of the race. You know, Conway just left Boemi for dead, essentially. You know, there was um, quite a concerted effort with the number eight car to try and, uh, you know, get the, their setup back on track. They changed the nose a couple of times. They changed the rear deck as well as they were just sort of tweaking the downforce levels. They did get it better. And I think during the night... Um, they were perhaps not quite a match, but they, they were getting towards the pace of, of the number seven car. But, you know, number seven had an advantage all the way through. And when things closed up with the safety cars and the slow zones and the four-course yellows during the night in a rather bizarre period, um, they were always able to uh, extend it. And sometimes they got lucky with the, with the yellow periods as well. Uh, but, you know, they did have a pace and could eke, eke it out sort of at will. And that did seem to be the amazing thing that, you know, even when the few moments went a little bit of luck, went the number eight, eight way and they briefly got into the lead, it, it didn't last very long. So it just seems to be they all away and even managed to get away with, because Lopez had a couple of offs, didn't he, that cost us a small amount of time. That sort of turn, well, to say it, turn the tables would, would not be correct, but it, it sort of meant that the gap that they'd built up over the first sort of eight or so hours disappeared and then uh, and then there was some rain and uh, um, the number seven car actually it was coming into it actually made a pit stop it didn't need to um, Nakajima was at the wheel of the number eight car and he he came in as there was just a tiny bit of hint of rain and uh, they put him on a new set of slicks so slicks were out that was straight out of the oven just just to make sure he kept temperatures up. It looked like the rain was was, was going to continue. The number seven was coming in the next lap and was actually going to go on to uh, intermediates. But sort of as it was approaching the rain eased, they decided not to put it on to intermediates. But that was a stop un, fully under green, whereas eight stops uh when there was a slow zone out, so that that resulted in the uh, in the lead swapping round. Uh, but of course, as, as it all settled down, coming towards the end of the race, in the penultimate hour, seven had everything in control, and then we had this bizarre thing with the with the car slowing, and then these two two pit stops on consecutive laps. Obviously, there's a lot of confusion about what was going on. But can you can you just explain what happened with the puncture and the sensor problems that that led to to seven losing the race? Well, an absolutely bizarre sequence of events. Uh, number seven 
uh, with uh, Logan at the wheel was leading by more than two minutes. The lead was about uh, two minutes ten, I think. Obviously, these cars have pressure sensors uh, for on each corner. The system told them they had a puncture, but it told them the wrong tire. So they came in, changed the tire. Lopez went out and realised he still had a puncture, or realised the the system was telling him he had a puncture again. But it was it wasn't again. It was it was the original puncture. Um, so they changed the front wheel, but the puncture was actually uh, at the back. So he had to do a slow lap, lap. Obviously, you know, a slow lap, making sure that the tire doesn't delaminate and then you know wrap its wrap itself around suspension components or destroy bodywork over eight and a half miles is a big loss of time. So basically, the two minutes lead that the car had completely disappeared. Lopez was actually overtaken just before he came into the pits. Uh, they changed all four tyres that time, and um, suddenly the car was a minute behind. Game over, really. I mean, it was always going to gain a little bit of time back at the next pit stop, but because it had this extra pit stop, it would require less fuel. Uh, but, you know, they weren't going to, that, that would gain it back, you know, 20, 20 or so seconds. So, you know, there was no way it was ever, ever going to get back in the lead. And, of course, Toyota has a has, has certain rules of engagement, which the primary, primary, primary one is that it allows its drivers to race up until the last pit stop. And then at the last pit stop, team orders are are imposed if you like that effectively the result is is frozen so it was it was just the, the sort of perfect storm that went against the number seven car uh, one question that, that's kind of arisen about that pit stop is that is why when the Toyota came in the first time number seven they didn't change all four tires anyway but that that was down to the fact they didn't have any fresh tires left so they'd had to go on to a a much older set is that correct it's it's sort of that the car had only been had wasn't that long into its stint, and they had saved a fresh set of tyres uh, for the last for the run to the flag, if you like, you know, which which is sort of normal normal strategy. So it was actually on very fresh tyres. So if they'd have changed all four, and they did, obviously the next lap, it was going on to used tyres. So. So yeah, it, it didn't it didn't make sense to change all four tires. You know, they relied on the technology giving them uh, the right message, but unfortunately, it it was giving them the wrong message. And it's just one of those things, isn't it? it, it it's I guess typical of of Le Mans that this sort of thing happens that you have one car in control for the for the whole race, and then understandably the uh, the crew were devastated. Mike Conway was superbly quick throughout the race, and then obviously the number eight was never really there, but. But then it, it turned around that even listening to some of the post-race interviews with drivers like Boemi and Alonso, they were almost apologetic for the for the way they'd won it because they knew they were thoroughly beaten, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. They made no uh, yeah they made made no suggestion that they in any way deserved it. Yeah, they admitted that they they had us licked, basically. Uh, yeah, and that and that was entirely the case. I think it would have been very hard for them to actually stand up and say, yeah, well, we could have won it if, 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 because 
there, there was that wasn't the case. And I guess that it's logical that Toyota didn't let them race right to the flag because you've got a one-two in the biggest race of the year. You don't want them kicking lumps out of each other in in tired cars. So even though again there's some complaints about this kind of thing, that was that was utterly the rational decision from Toyota, just as it was sensible not to try and artificially swap them back round to kind of restore the natural order, if you like. It's part of racing, part of the tapestry of a race, the way it unfolds. To then say, oh, that you've been bloody unlucky we're going to swap it around it's sort of a bit you know it's sort of smacks of social engineering doesn't it I think that would have uh, I, don't, I don't think that would have been right and, I, and I'm sure that Conway Lopez and uh, Kobayashi wouldn't agree with that no exactly it's, it's the whole thing about you're not just racing your competitors you're racing the race aren't you and Le Mans obviously, obviously decided that, that obviously decided that it wasn't number seven's day that's right you know the old saying and I don't know who coined it but you know Le Mans chooses the winner uh, we've had another example of that this weekend. And if there's one thing that history tells us, it's that if you're leading Le Mans comfortably in the closing stages and you're in a Toyota, there's a good chance something will go wrong. So I guess it shouldn't <laughs> come as a big surprise. It was it was the curse of Toyota. And I guess the good fortune for Toyota this time was that there was no one, there was not another manufacturer racing them hard. Um, you know, the curse struck but it, it ultimately didn't deprive them of the one-two they were going to have anyway. But ultimately, the significance of this, even though Toyota didn't really have any opposition, the fact that this manufacturer, which has been a bit of a Le Mans stalwart, obviously it's gone in and out over the years, but it's supported Le Mans tremendously and it's going to continue into the hypercar era. So the fact Toyota has got now a second Le Mans win, regardless of the circumstances, it's it's good, isn't it? It's good that it's been rewarded with this this success. Well, again, from my point of view, you know, Toyota can only race the people who, who turn up. You know, it, it's a shame there aren't manufacturers there, but it's, it's not really Toyota's fault. Toyota want to win Le Mans. They want to be involved in the World Endurance Championship. They want to develop their hybrids, technology in a racing environment. That's what they're doing. They're racing the opposition and winning. Talking of the opposition, obviously the privateer, the non-hybrid cars weren't really uh, weren't really competitive in terms of the overall wins. Some some good lap times at times, but we had third place the the SMP uh, BR of Vitaly Petrov, Mikhail Alushin, and Stoffel Van Dorn. Uh, they beat the the two rebellions, and obviously uh, the other SMP car uh, Igor Orijev crashed in the in the night. I think they were. In, in looking good for third place at that point uh, but the the fact that there was there wasn't any opposition from the privateers i guess wasn't really a surprise was it despite the fact that the, the rebellion in particular in the hands of gustavo menezes set some pretty impressive times uh, during the race well, i think you know it's you know they can do a quick lap but it, what they can't do or what toyota are better at is just zipping through the traffic a lot of that is down to you know the hybrid punch 300 uh, horsepower and punch out the corners just to nip past they can you they have that power on tap to use at will almost um, it, it's an amazing tool in an endurance racing multi-class category um, I think there there are there are other factors too you know if you just look out as on circuit it looks to me that driving a, uh, a rebellion or uh, the BRE is is involves a lot more effort than driving uh, the Toyota you know the 
new amount of money put Toyota put into their damping work, their um, you know on the rig, things like that. It's just immense. It just looks at well. Well, it's 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 a mature racing car, isn't it? We're now in year four of the uh, TSO 5.0, and we shouldn't forget that the um, the Delara built uh, VRE is was a car new for the Super Season. The Rebellion, um, designed and built by Orica, clearly it has a root it has its roots in the Orica 07 uh, LMP2 car, but it's a, it, it is a different uh, car. You know, they they're not. They haven't had as much de- development uh, in their short lines as the uh, Toyota has. So I think there, there are several factors, but probably the, the overriding one is, is the advantages that come with running a hybrid system. And, and what we shouldn't forget is that come the hypercar concept rules in uh, for 20, the 2020-2021 season, we're going to have some very specific rules uh, designed to sort of... Um, make sure that the advantage that the, hy- the hybrids have today uh, isn't, isn't so uh, extreme or acute uh, in two, two seasons' time. Uh, well, looking overall um, uh, at the, the World Championship, obviously this means Alonso, Bohemi and Nakajima have, have clinched the, the World Endurance title. That was fairly predictable. The, the, the swap around of the two cars made no difference to the eventual result. They only need they only need basically to get to the finish to uh, to be sure of doing it. Yeah, seventh place is all they needed. I mean, the significance of, of that, obviously, Fernando Alonso wins the World Endurance Championship. There's always a lot of attention on him, albeit slightly less attention on him this year because he's already won Le Mans. But it, it's kind of mission accomplished for for him in, in the World Endurance Championship, and he can obviously sail off into the sunset and not really worry about. Weckle or Le Mans again it seems well I mean it's it's a matter of debate isn't it what what's more prestigious a Le Mans 24 hour victory or a World Endurance Championship title uh, I think I know where I stand I, and, I, and I'm, I say that Le Mans is more important and talking to uh, Sebastian Buemi at um, Spa he was very much of that uh, that same thinking. Alonso was very sort of he he came out and said, "Well, it's not going to affect the way I drive, but you know, for me, the uh, the title is more important." And I think you know, yeah, he's been world. He, yeah, I guess maybe world championships mean more to him because he's um, he's, he's, he's he's won a couple in Formula One. I don't know, um, but yeah, I guess if you've got two, you want three. But certainly, I'd imagine that to turn it round, if the seven crew had won Le Mans but not won the World Championship, they'd have been delighted with it, wouldn't they? Because obviously, that crew hasn't hasn't won Le, won Le Mans before. That, that they've had a couple of second places consecutively now with Conway, Lopez, and and, and Kobayashi, and particularly with how well Conway drove. Obviously, that if they'd been rewarded with with this deserved Le Mans victory, that would have that would have been massively more important than the fact they didn't win the the World Championship. I don't think they'd cared a great deal. Right, I think, you know, even I remember speaking to Loic Duval, okay, a Frenchman, so perhaps that gives Le Mans an extra bit of res- resonance. But when he won uh, the, the world title uh, with Aldi, sharing with Alan McNish and Tom Christensen, they also won Le Mans that year. Um, and he said to me, yeah, Le Mans would always be more important for me. And I think, I think, you know, the World Championship, the World Endurance Championship, 
was only reborn in 2012. Um, I don't think he's got to the stage yet where where it uh, outranks them all. No, very much so. And uh, I guess we should say as well that Sebastian Buemi, that's his, that's his second title, isn't it? He, uh, he won it a few years ago. And uh, Kazuki Nakajima... Uh, his his first that did sort of in, influence his thinking, and I know I know for Nakajima he is the first uh, he has today become the first Japanese uh, four world motorsport champion. Uh, obviously, Japanese drivers I do believe won uh, motorcycle world championships, but no no uh, Japanese drivers ever won a uh, certainly an FIA world championship title. Yeah, so it's uh, well, a big day. I mean, I guess I guess you can't really beat <laughs> winning Le Mans and clinching the championship, which is exactly what they've they've done. <laughs> and I guess two two Le Mans victories for that for that crew within the super season. So <laughs> yeah, it ticks all the boxes. So wouldn't have to choose. Well, unfortunately, did go on to have an excellent conversation with James Newbold about the LMP2 class and also with Tom Errington about GTE Pro and GTE Am. Unfortunately, technical problems means that recording didn't quite come out as hoped, so it isn't actually listenable to. So this uh, this podcast will be somewhat truncated. However, I can give a quick rundown of what went on in the other classes. Of course, uh, four classes at Le Mans, some very, very tightly contested. In LMP2, the secondary prototype class, a very... Uh, well-supported class. It was a Signatech Alpine team running an, an Alpine-badged Orica that won. Nicolas Lapierre, André Negrel and Pierre Thirier driving for them. Of course, that's Lapierre's fourth victory in LMP2 in four LMP2 attempts. So an absolutely fantastic record for the for the former Toyota Works driver. He never won overall, but in P2, he uh, he seems to be the, the man currently. And in fact, it was him and Jean-Éric Verne, who, if you look at some of the average lap times, really set the pace impressively. Uh, in that class now it ultimately boiled down to the fact that the uh that the g-drive tds run car of roman rusinov jean-eric verne and job van utert who i can't pronounce very well they had a 90 second lead and that was partly down to the safety car timing uh, in the 10th hour but the tds car had a problem at a, at a pit stop it was a problem related to the starter motor they said it was a, a 10 cent part that cost them so that cost them time dropped them out of contention that left the way clear for the Signatech alpine team to win uh, second place in that class went to hope Tung, stefan Rakelmi, and gabrielle Aubry in the jackie chan dc the jota run oracle of course that team finished second and third overall in 2017 famously, although we're never quite in outright contention for that class. You should also note that the, the Dragon Speed team was pretty competitive in that class with Anthony Davidson and also Pastor Maldonado among their among their driver lineup and Maldonado actually did crash the car in the end. He blamed uh, he blamed the sun for uh, for that moment and in fairness to Maldonado he'd he'd driven very, very well up to that point. So that was LMP2. GTE Pro is always a highlight class and in fact in the television coverage the GTE cars probably took up the lion's share of the time, particularly early in the race, where you barely saw the two Toyotas disappearing into the distance. It was a win for AF Corsa, the Ferrari team. Alessandro Pierre Guidi, James Collado and Daniel Serra took victory by 49 seconds from the Porsche crew, Richard Leitz, Jamaria Bruni and Fred Macaviecki. And of course, uh, P.A. Bamba Tandy, the third place, Porsche. Now, it was a it was a close battle. Ferrari, Porsche and Corvette were, were all in it. The 63 Corvette uh, went, uh, fell out of contention. They made a pit stop relatively late in the race after Nick de Vries had gone off in his, uh, in his P2 car, the, the Dutch 
entry thanks to some kind of uh, car problem, not his mistake. That caused a safety car. The 63 car pitted under it. Jan Magnussen took over and and headed out. But then when the race restarted, he had an off, tagged the barrier and lost a little bit more time. So that knocked them out of podium contention, unfortunately, because they'd had a really strong race. And in fact, Antonio Garcia took the lead in the, in the first stint in that race. So that left it down to Ferrari versus Porsche. Obviously, safety cars and that kind of thing played a, a part in the way that race shook out, as it always does, given how, uh, how close it was going to be. Basically, it... it Boiled down into a, into a race between the sixty three Corvette and the and the Ferrari, but yeah, then uh, then Magnussen had his uh, his Porsche curve off, and yeah, two laps uh, lost to that, which is a, a real shame. And of course, the other Corvette, the sixty four car, Marcel Fassler, had a, a shunt towards the end of the six hour after contact with Satoshi Hashino in the in the Dempsey Proton Porsche number eighty eight car and stewards uh, did Fassler for that so uh, a, a close race in gte pro ford aston martin bmw weren't quite at the race of course aston martin on pole position they uh, got hit by balanced performance which supposedly played a part in in their real struggles in the race and in fact they also had a bit of trouble with uh, with tire management in the race as well so just fell fell back and never really in contention in gte am it was a victory for the privateer ford gt the keating motorsports cars ben keating your own bleaker merlin and felipe fraga the the brazilian driver they had a little bit of a scare late on when keating was given a penalty for excessive wheel spin at a pit stop but uh bleaker merlin later took over that car and brought it home they finished 45 seconds clear of the project one porsche uh, that's Jörg Bergmeister's team. He led the driver lineup there, and yeah, a, a, a great, uh, a great victory for for the Keating team, and also for a Ford Privateer victory. I mean, Ford in their final Le Mans as a works team would have wanted to win the Pro Class, but the Privateer win, I guess, is the next best thing. Well, hopefully that's given you a little bit of a summary. We did want to talk in a little bit more depth about those classes, but technical problems intervened, and I guess that's just what can happen at Le Mans. Well, there'll be a huge amount of content and fallouts from the Le Mans 24 hours on autosport.com. And of course, Thursday's Autosport magazine will have in-depth coverage, including Gary Watkins' in-depth report on the race. Autosport plus our subscriber area online, there'll be plenty of in-depth coverage of Le Mans in there and also of the whole rest of the world of motorsport. Do check out sister titles motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoy it. We're usually out every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Feeling stuck in your current job? Looking for a career pivot? Are you a proven leader looking to step up? The University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business prepares students to meet challenges, solve problems, and obtain a profound understanding of how to operate in the modern economy. With MBA and MS programs offering flexible options to fit your lifestyle and goals. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more today at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired. Fearless. Unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 